0: You built the UK's fastest-growing fintech unicorn in 14 months from zero to unicorn status. And your present valuation is $2 billion. That's right, yeah. How did you end up, like, making it actually happen to you? I genuinely believe it's as simple as that. Philip Bellamont, who is the founder and CEO of Zilch. The fastest company in Europe to ever reach
1: unicorn status. What are the first few steps for people listening they can learn from you that you took? Action. It really just comes down to the discipline of action. You need to get in every day and you need to grind it out. And that has not changed that at all. Nothing happens on its own. You have to force the issue. So, are you going to get up every morning and work on it?
0: Bill, thanks for being here. It's great to have you as our guest. What's it like running a billion dollar company?
1: It's an interesting first question, to be honest. I think that's a, um, it's very much like running a smaller business. Um, you know, if you're building a real company, and I mean, you've seen this time and time again, a lot of your guests that you have on the podcast obviously share a lot of their stories in entrepreneurship and building companies. I don't think it changes much um, as you move through the gears, so to speak. It's really about operating with people, you know, in bringing people together, making sure they share the vision that you're setting for the business. And every day ultimately having the discipline to come in and get the job done, whatever that job is on that day. I think I think the single biggest thing for me that you require more and more of as the business grows is is discipline, really. So you know, in the beginning, a lot of people think if you want to be an entrepreneur, you need motivation. You want to do something you love. It's going to be fantastic, and everything's going to be exciting, and every day is going to be great. You're going to skip out of bed. I think what I've learned, at least, is that that's not necessarily true, right? you really do need discipline and particularly um, as the business grows in the, in the early days, disciplines really good in terms of getting out of bed and going to work and getting it done, even if everything's going against your plan. But that sort of has matured as we've become a larger company now. And now it's about the discipline of how much time are we allocating for certain tasks? What's taking your time? Who are you trusting around you to rather go and do those tasks? So, For me, it feels like you need discipline across the piece. You need to get in every day and you need to grind it out. And that has not changed at all. Um, But I think it certainly helps having a bigger team around you, more people that you can trust and depend and rely on. And that's certainly probably, I would say, the major thing that's changed between a small business and a big business. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, It's everything that everyone would expect. It's all the same day-to-day tasks. You really are just grinding things out day-to-day. Nothing happens on its own. You have to force the issue.
0: Do you think the discipline point is something you've learned or has it always been with you?
1: Um, I think uh, for me, I've kind of, I've really grown up with that. Um, You know, I didn't, I went straight from school to university. I went straight from university to starting my first company. You know, I didn't take a gap year and go travel and do, I, I really have always um, been quite focused and intentional with what I want to go and, and do. And, and ultimately that was that, for me, I've always wanted to build things. So I, my whole view wasn't I want to be an entrepreneur, but rather I see a lot of problems in the world day to day and, you know, I'm consistently thinking about how do I fix those problems? Mm-hmm. And then taking that and putting it into action, of course, the problem is a lot of people have got great ideas. They do nothing about them. But for me, it was always a case of let me pick one problem and actually go do something about it. And I was always quite focused on that and quite disciplined about that. So, you know, when even in university, uh, friends of mine might have been rather in the canteen and playing around, joking around before or after class. You know, I actually was looking forward to getting home and working on you know, an AI system I was building at the time that I found interesting. Um, you know, or people take a long holiday and they were like, Ooh, it's going to be a, we've got two months off. This is so exciting. By the second week I was bored and really keen to get back to what I was busy with, some project I was working on or some game I was building at the time or coding. So I think it's just sort of, I suppose, maybe how I grew up. My father was also very much like that. You know, I'm, I'm not even sure I'd call the word discipline, just focused you know, really knew what he wanted to go and get done and got up every day and went and got it. He Mm -hmm. went and did it. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of, that's sort of, uh, I think maybe how I learned to be sort of how I am. And that is that I really am focusing on what's next, what's next, what's next, not necessarily dwelling on what's in the past. Um, and also not being distracted. There's a lot of distractions in life and I'm not saying they're all bad. Of course, some of them are great, but, um, um, I think for me, definitely it's how I was raised and brought up and that sort of just rolled forward in my life. And so really every day for me is about getting up and going and achieving something. And I really can't stand those days that feel a little bit off. They, they piss me off and right? they annoy me. Um, when you get up and you, you have a couple of objectives and you halfway through the day, you realize you're wasting time. It really annoys me. So. So, yeah, I would just say, I think it's probably my upbringing. It's probably my, the way my father was, even how my mother was around all of us. She was really disciplined and focused on I'm raising this family. This is really important to me and I'm going to do it great. I'm going to be the best at this. And my father was the same with his work. So I probably got that from them, if I had to guess. You have brothers and sisters? I've got an older sister and a younger sister. Yeah.
0: And, and, and are they equally disciplined or are they very different?
1: Um, I would, say, I would say similar, actually. Um, you know, my older sister is a lawyer. My younger sister is an architect. Um, and very much everyone is also still very driven on, on how they go about doing things. So I would actually say definitely um, very similar in that regard, to be honest. Probably a bit unusual. Normally, you know, kids or siblings are quite different.
0: Well, that's kind of what I was getting to, because sometimes yeah. is, is, it, is it nature or nurture that kind of drives people? So people listening... Up, we get contacted by millions of people every month that want to start a business.
1: Yeah. And in a
0: way, we're trying to help them understand how that's possible. But what if they don't have that upbringing? What if they don't have that natural discipline? Like I, I didn't really have that. My, yeah. my parents were both entrepreneurs, but I don't think I was disciplined. Yeah. Until 15 years old, when I was kicked out of home, I had no choice but to yeah. become
1: disciplined, or I wouldn't eat. I think that, I think that's exactly the point you just made there. I don't think it's nature necessarily. It's, it's certainly nurture, would be my view. I think you can be... You know, as you can, you can be taught to hate, you can be taught to love, mm-hmm. um, you can be taught discipline, right? And you can bring that on yourself as well. You can go and learn that for yourself. As you've just said, you know, you get up in the morning and you, and you put one foot in front of the other and you teach yourself that discipline. If I look at my siblings as, as people and who they are individually, we are very different. But when I look at how we think about our careers or the goals and how we go about those in our day-to-day lives, we're very similar in the discipline we exercise, and that has to have come from the nurture side. Mm. I would, I would think.
0: When I mean, first of all, it's unusual. I think uh, a lot of people that listen to the podcast are university students, yeah. and the natural instinct is to get a job. Yeah, that's kind of what the university even teaches you, right? Almost yeah. teaches you that that's what you want. What company are you going to work for when you leave university? They even advertise? they're going to get you a job. Yes. Yeah. But, but so how did you resist that? How did you resist not going to the parties? How did you resist not following the traditional route? I,
1: I don't think it's necessarily a case of resisted not going. I mean you know uh, I always enjoyed being around my friends and going to these events and things like that and I, and you know that's not even changed. We have a lot of fun in in the business today. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really part of the reason why it works so well. We just enjoy each other's company and we have a lot of fun here. Um, so I, I think you have to do that stuff. But there is a big difference between enjoying that stuff, but being disciplined and getting up the next day and getting it done. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of, it, it sort of doesn't, doesn't quite happen, right? You, mm-hmm. tend to, you tend to move in one direction and you sort of forget about the, the rest. And so life becomes about the parties and the next day you feel rubbish and mm-hmm. you know you eat what you shouldn't eat and then you go to the next party and so things roll forward and you become very unproductive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think I think for me it was always a case of everything in moderation. Is sort of how I think about that. Everything from you know what you eat through to religion. Frankly, everything in moderation is fine. But outside of that is a problem, mm. and and you know that's how I have kind of always thought about the way I go about my life. Um, love to have the party, but let's get up and deliver the next day.
0: And another thing I think you're uncovering there that might be u- useful for the people listening and and you you know this is my take on it so correct me if you don't see it this way but like having the ability to um, host the party so you can go to someone else's party but if you have your own company you can host the party you can create the party you want yeah there's some element to that right you can create you can employ the people that are uh, going to create going to be a part of your party as opposed to you having to go to someone else's party i mean metaphorically speaking you, you know what i mean like is that part of it
1: I think so to some degree. I I think, you know, I always wonder if I was working for a firm, am I going to be really interested or excited about whatever they're doing, the function they're throwing? I like to believe I would be. Mm. Um, You know, I think you're drawn to like minded people. And if you enjoy being around those people and the conversations that you have with with all of them are stimulating, you know, naturally, why wouldn't you want to spend an extended period of time with those people? So, you know, and, and that's what we always say, at least in zilch, as we say, people will ask us, what really is the culture, you know? And for me, I look at it and I think, you don't want to create a culture that you're a fitness type company and everyone's doing marathons or going to Barry's boot camp. or I don't think you want to steer people in any one direction. You don't want to say, oh, we're a big drinking culture or, or, or something like this. I think the idea is let people be who they are. Let's have interesting, meaningful interactions and conversations. And then people will find their way through that and we'll build the culture this way. So if you really love rock climbing, I'm sure there's a bunch of people here that love that too. You know, put a little group of you together and go do it. If you love football, go and do that. And we can sponsor a team. If you want to, you know, run a marathon, let's get involved with that too. I think people should just really be themselves. What should unite and bring us together is our love for the mission we're on and what we're doing and all of the respective um, experience that's brought to the table, we're all learning from each other every single day. And when that stops, it's sort of like the music stops. I think if you stop learning, and people are therefore become a little uninteresting to be around, the music stops. Yep. It's not fun anymore, right?
0: I think there's, there's another really important lesson I don't want people to miss, and this is my take on what you said there, is that anybody starting a company should start with the core purpose, And then as you hire people around that core purpose, you build the culture around the mission. And then everyone will have their own different interests and probably own different political views or whatever it is. But the mission is what aligns everybody. That's the thing you can sit in a room and agree on and want to make happen. So, and I know my son goes to a forest school, for example, and I've noticed all the parents that kids also go there have this kind of like wildlife, you know, of rock band uh, kids there, you know, like they just... Everyone's a bit freer. It's almost like that's the culture, isn't it? The purpose is the culture. Yes. So let's talk about the Zilch purpose because I have been mind-blown a little bit about it. It's a complicated, in, in in my mind, it's quite a complicated thing. Anything involving yeah. payments, I'm sure as people hear me talk about like payments, there'll be people that are like, oh, this is you know getting it technical. Can you describe what your company does in a non-technical way so that those listening understand how big this purpose is?
1: Sure, absolutely. So If you look at today, I think we all know about credit. We all know about debt, right? And the problem we have today is, is very simple. You have credit card companies, high cost lenders, businesses like this, charging people billions every year in interest and fees to really facilitate them being able to defer the cost of something over time, right? And so if you actually look at the figures, you look across the US and the UK, basically consumers, we, have put almost a trillion dollars of debt onto credit cards, sitting on credit cards as we speak. And the problem is these companies are charging us interest rates. So every month they're charging us a fee for that amount of money sitting on that card. And that, that equates to almost 150 billion every single year that we are paying in interest and fees to credit card companies. If you think about it, what are we paying for? It's going nowhere. Think what you could do with that money for the world, your family, your own personal situation. But it's going into nothing. Fresh air, right? A number that a company made up in 1950s. (laughs) That's how ridiculous this is. And that became for us the big mission. How do you go and make that number zero? How do you make it zilch? How can we ensure that people gain access to credit, which is a force for good, right? It's a force for good if done right. How do we give people that access to credit for free? So it cost them nothing. And that really was the mission. So ultimately what that means, if you break it down and you think about it like this, all of us are going online and brands are paying Google and Facebook, TikTok, companies like this, billions in advertising to get in front of us and show us their products so that we hopefully wanna buy something, right? You then pull out your credit card, if you have access to one, and you use your credit card to buy that item. And you end up paying billions every year to, to those credit card companies in fees and interest. By the time we finished with this podcast, another $20 million would have been paid in fees and interest, right? It's ridiculous. So people then end up paying billions to credit card companies to buy that item. The whole concept of zilch is how do we fix that? How do you let brands directly engage with you as a potential shopper? And we take that ad revenue from that brand and instead of giving it to Google or Facebook, we earn that revenue. And we use that to basically pay for the cost of credit for you on your behalf. So ultimately think about this as the Googleization of payments, right? We are taking an ad model and applying it to credit and payments, which is pretty unique. This has never happened before. So if you think about it, search, how do you go and search and access Google for free? Well, they run ads on top and they use that revenue to cover their costs and to make a profit, but you get a very valuable service for free. How do you go and use social for free? Same thing, right? These ad models work. And actually sometimes those ads are meaningful. They're interesting to us. Think about payments and credit. No one's ever done this before. Credit card companies just say, here's a piece of plastic, pay me fees, right? Online lenders, here's a loan, pay me lots of fees. Actually, banks, even in this country, here's an overdraft. Pay me an exorbitant amount of fees, right? Ridiculous uh, amount of fees. What we're doing is we're saying, here's a way for you to access credit, and you're going to pay zero for access to that credit. We're going to make it from the ad revenue that we can generate by taking you as a customer and introducing you to brands, and you go and buy their products, and brands will pay us for this. So Plus, they, they get discount. All...
0: This is the other thing that kind of blew my mind about the model, is that they also get discount on those products that you're Absolutely. introducing to. So if uh, looking through your app recently, I can, you know, as I'm yeah. looking, you can see that I can actually get discount, 3%, 5%. So instead of the fees going to the credit card companies, you're actually partly using as well to get lower price for people on the products that
1: are on your system. Exactly. So it's all about savings and then access to free credit. So if we're making advertising revenue each time our customers spend with us, with our product, we can use that revenue and pass it back to you as the customer and you can choose. Would you like to use this to offset the cost of credit? So the credit's going to be free if you want to pay on credit this for this transaction, or you can use this revenue for deal or discount or saving. And what's fantastic is the customer can choose. Mm -hmm. So each and every time the customer uses our product, they can actually use Zilch to go and pay in one like you normally would. You pay everything on checkout and you take that revenue for yourself. You keep it as cashback. Or you say, actually, I'd like to pay for this over four installments for the next month and a half. And we can then tell you that's going to be free because we're going to use that revenue from the ads and we're going to use it to cover the cost of credit. Right? And that really is the most um, you know, uh, simple way I can explain how we've put this business together and why it's been so effective so far.
0: We will in the podcast make a link to a, a brilliant LinkedIn post you did explaining this, um, which I have had to read three times. I don't know if it means I've got a low IQ or I just needed time. Maybe to it sort wasn't of it. such a brilliant post after No, that. it is. <laughs> it is. I think, I think, and here's, I'm going to be a skeptical listener for a minute. Sure. Okay. Someone's listening to this and, th- and I can hear them saying, this is too good to be true. Why hasn't someone already done this? It's 2023 we're living in right now. Like everyone's done everything apparently. So how come this hasn't been done before?
1: It's a great question, and it reminds me of some, an anecdotal story uh, with Einstein. I don't know, you've probably heard this one, where one of his students, 1940s, uh, one of his students came to him. They had just done a, an exam, and the student came to him after the exam and said, Professor, I'm not sure if you know, but these questions were exactly the same as this exam exactly this semester last year. Did you know that? Is it a mistake or is there a reason for this and Einstein turned to him and said the questions are the same it's the answers that are different now if you think about that it's quite interesting right it seems like the people who created the credit card they didn't listen to this story right they've asked themselves the same question each year since the 1950s and they came up with the same answer How do we make revenue on customers who use credit? Charge them interest rates, charge them fees, charge them interest rates. The answer never changed, right? The way I think about it is it's odd that over all of this period of time, almost 70 years, no one has come up with an interesting way to amortize the cost of credit to the customer. In other words, reduce the cost of credit to the customer. So the question's always been the same, and the answers seem to have never changed, until today, mm. all right? And I think this maybe comes from my previous experience um, out of South Africa with a company that, that I built there. I started a, a mobile gaming business, um, and this is on Nokia 3310s, green screen phones. Snake or something. Yeah, it? that yeah. type of a thing, yeah, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and people could use their airtime to buy these games and play these games. And obviously, what we realized over time is not so many people were, in fact, playing the games, but they were using the airtime and transferring it to one another. Um, And what we then did is we realized that people were having to travel vast distances to buy this airtime on weekends. And they would spend this time away from family or friends. And it was airtime or prepaid electricity. You had to go somewhere physically to buy a voucher so that you could put it into your phone and you could get airtime or onto your electricity meter. and, and, and we wanted to look at solving this problem now with this new mobile tech we had built. Out of our failed gaming business, we had turned into this airtime vending company that we could transfer airtime from person to person. And what we came up with is, is that we would lend the airtime to the, the person on the weekend. And then in the week when they were back going to work and it was convenient, they could come and pass back. And that changed a lot really for me, there was two major things that I learned in this exercise. The first was that technology can truly transform people's lives. You, you really took families and reunited them on the weekends. People were spending no time with their kids or their families. They were in queues and traveling three hours at a time to buy this airtime. So you reunite people through tech. And, I, and that's the first time I genuinely saw something where I thought, wow, that could change people's lives. But the second thing is I appreciated at that point The power of credit, the power of credit done right. If you did not actually lend that money, there was no other way to fix this problem. You needed technology and you needed credit. There was no other way to do it. You can't feed cash into a cell phone, not a Nokia 3310 anyway, right? (laughs) So there was no other way. And that's the first time I truly saw if you combine credit and technology, it can be really very powerful and a force for good. And I think that's what created this whole momentum in my thinking, which was you can find a way to make revenue when this customer transacts from other parties that can actually afford it. For instance, Nike has got a margin on their product. They actually dedicate some of that margin to their sales and marketing. They can afford to give up some margin for that customer to shop. Why wouldn't we just have Nike pay for you to buy there and cover the cost of your credit? right? It's a lot more affordable. And so we really flipped the whole model on its head in uh, the way we thought about this. And I think the reason is perhaps that people haven't done this in the past is because, you know, there's the easy way and the difficult way. A lot of people don't like the difficult way. They don't necessarily do what's right. They do what's easy. You follow the path of least resistance. And if you looked at credit cards, these companies making a lot of money, why would you invent anything new? You just come into an institution, they become these large businesses, they're doing the same thing they've been doing for 65 years, and you just keep doing it. Because ultimately everyone's going, why would you change it? It's making so much money, mm. right? So it's so successful. I think people are not bothering to stop, break things down to their component parts and say, can you rebuild this better?
0: a great lesson right there i mean every business right now can be reinvented in my opinion around community decentralization purpose you can redefine every business pretty much and probably um, knock them off their pedestal however big they are i, I have a natural personal uh, distrust for the financial institutions you know yeah. like when i was younger i was always sold that good debt was a good thing and bad debt was a bad thing and my father died unfortunately managing a lot of good debt so i wasn't very good as far as I was concerned. Yeah. I, I spent quite a lot of time understanding the history or the financial system and you know, a lot of sinister things pop up, like credit cards originally, they, when they were designed, they were designed around this concept, oh, it's a debt card, and they did this whole market research and realised that debt was a negative word, so they called it credit cards. Yeah. To fool people into thinking it's a positive thing, to have this card that would cost you every month a lot of money yeah. to manage. And so, I guess, when entering into this space, there's a couple of things, you know, um, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, I, I yeah. do like to follow the money to see what motivates people. Yeah. If you're changing the industry and potentially threatening a trillion dollar business, are you, you know, looking over your shoulder when you're walking around the streets of London? I mean, have you seen Bank of Dave? Have you seen, the <laughs> yeah, Perhaps, you know, is. like, they yeah. did try and <laughs> take him down, right? I mean, they did. It's a fact they've been prosecuted. The institution did, did try and take him down and all he wanted to do was help small businesses, you know, like,
1: well, to joking be honest, aside, we, do you, you suppose? We, we have recently actually, we had our, our head of communications walk outside and someone did t- try and take his phone and watch, but I think that was different. Yeah, I'm that's, not sure, I'm, yeah, well, <laughs> we, so, so, so you know. But yeah,
0: yeah but, but it happens, you know, like this is this is the the way, you know, you, it happens. I mean, is, is it something you think about? And, and yeah, and I wanted to, I would love to hear your, you know, if that's something that really goes through your mind, but the other thing is like, taking it back to like people listening, Listening to this idea, they, they might just think you're a genius and you, you made it happen. How did you make it actually happen?
1: Okay, so the first question I mean, I would say large institutions um, will absolutely make moves to try to obviously kill what's going on or copy it and take advantage of it. And you've, you're seeing this happen, so the answer is in the market already. You're seeing it happen across the board, a number of major banks in the UK, the US and elsewhere, have announced they're going to be moving now into this, what they call BNPL space. Right. 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 No, it doesn't sound
0: sexy as zilch.
1: No, exactly. right. <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I don't gonna... know if it's NetWest pay late or right. something. Or right. that. So the moral of the story is that they absolutely will do their best to ensure that they can go and, and, and by virtue of trying to compete with you, kill what you're doing. I think the problem a little bit though is, so the short answer is, I don't think with or that they're going to come after us personally. I'm, I'm not convinced of that, but certainly from a business perspective, they are already doing it. How can they go and capitalize on, on what's interesting to the customer? The problem a little bit with the way these institutions think is again, they haven't understood the problem. They haven't broken it down to its component parts. They are copying something. And by virtue of doing that, you can ask them any question two levels deep, and they can't give you the answer. They don't actually understand how you've put this thing together. So when anyone ever said to us, oh, you really need to worry because, you know, maybe someone would copy this. My view has always been, if you can do what we spend all day, all night, every weekend for more than three years doing and still have a lot to do, and you can do it better than us and faster than us, you deserve it. Good for you.
0: Right. Which, by the way, is a really good point for people listening. Like, you can have an idea and and you can share it. I actually had an idea and rang up the competition, the company that could do it best, and they hung up on me. Oh, they no, they can't do it. They can't do share it. Share your ideas of the time. with everyone. Yeah. Everyone, a, a lot either. of
1: people come to you and oh, you know, I've got this great idea, but right. I don't want to tell anyone about it. If you tell no one, you will never do anything about it, yeah. and all it will ever be is an idea,
0: right? And if one person might copy you, the, the 10 people you shared it with, nine will help you make it happen, but one might 100%. copy you if they've got the money, if they've got the time, and like you said, if they've got the deep enough knowledge about the thing you're actually talking about, which is very rare.
1: I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I see a, a lot of friends, even of mine, will say, oh, you know, I've got this idea, and it's almost no one wants to share it because everyone thinks. It's amazing, actually, when you think about it, it's so difficult to build a company. It is so challenging, it's so hard. Every day there's something that goes wrong. Every single day, right? It's so difficult. And if you really think about it, how many successful entrepreneurs are there? What is the rate of failure of startups? It's Massive, it's huge, 90 plus percent, right? It's very difficult, we all know that. Yet, when we have an idea, we believe now that everyone we tell is a super entrepreneur in hiding. They're just waiting for the idea and they're going to be tremendously successful. Mm. The reality is is that if you look at the numbers, the majority of the reason a, a, a business fails is in fact not because the idea is bad. It's normally because you do not find a way to fund it. You obviously execute poorly. You don't have the right team. And then there's a component of, okay, no one needs... Miniature dog hotels for uh, you know um, from the four seasons is a bad example. Okay, that was a poor idea fine But that's only 20 odd percent of the reason why startups fail So when we come up with an interesting idea We don't want to tell anyone which means we don't get any better at thinking about the idea Mm -hmm. and and rolling it forward And at the same time, it's because we're convinced that they're gonna be they're gonna be a runaway success with idea It's just not true. Mm -hmm. So, you know in my view the same thing you just said it's interesting for me I always do the same thing. If I come up with an idea, I like to speak to people who know more about that space than I do. What you subsequently learn is they don't know very much about the space. Yeah. But they, they all, all they
0: need to know is 3% more than you, you to sound like an expert. Yeah. And so you go
1: to, but I go to them first. I go, yeah, what do you think of this? right? And actually, that's largely how you start putting this together. If I look at Zilch, it's a very similar approach. You know, My co-founder, it was similar. I, I was sitting with him and... We were having a drink, actually I think it was a hot chocolate, and um, we're just talking about what we're busy with. And it wasn't that, at the time, he wasn't my co-founder, and he's, you know, serial entrepreneur, really capable guy, he could easily have run off with an idea that I came up with. But he's one of the first people I thought, let me chat to him about it. And he had a whole lot of views to it, and that's really how we decided wow, this thing could actually be something. Let's go and let's go and tackle it. So-
0: There's so many things that I don't want the audience to miss, by the way. Um, one of the things I think is so true is that if you want to raise money or get help for your business, don't go ask someone for money. Ask someone for help. <laughs> right? Yeah. If you ask someone for money, they'll give you advice. Yeah. If you go ask someone for help, they'll give you money. Yes. <laughs> and so your, your partner there, your co-founder, um, I, I feel like the... Did you instantly like, walk away with, like, let's do 50-50? How did you end up like, making it actually happen together?
1: It was actually a lot like that. So, you know, co-founders are quite hard to come by. Um, it's difficult. Actually, in my, in my first business, I started the business and was on my own. And, and only when we started to look at expanding into the rest of Africa, I met someone um, who was actually the, the CEO of Vintuk in Namibia. His name is Martin, uh, Martin Shipanga and he came to me to say i love this i've look at all the work i've done on it i've thought about it he's not even in the business he doesn't even know who i am and we sat down and had lunch and he spoke to me about it and he said but if we did this a bit here and that what do you think and that was a natural actually a natural sort of segue into a partnership really he became the co-founder for our business in africa for me mm-hmm um you know and it happened naturally that way yeah there's a
0: misunderstanding people have by the way they sometimes think that you have to start the business with someone at the same time for them to become a co-founder which is not true
1: oh uh, of course yeah
0: yeah a lot all my colleagues in this room right now we're uh, this podcast have become my co-founder after a year or so of me starting the business already you know i started yeah. it but i can't make it work without them right so yeah, a lot of people misunderstand it. that but how did you do it originally
1: um for, yeah so for with zilch, sean have... so so with sean o'connor my co-founder here at zilch it was almost a similar approach. So we met each other. I moved to the UK about eight years back, and he was almost one of the first people I met when I arrived here. So he had a, he had a business. He was looking at doing a deal around. Um, and at the time, I was still with my previous company. We were, had listed the business on NASDAQ, and so we always looked at mergers and acquisitions. And that's actually how I met him. Someone introduced him to me because he was looking to do a deal for this company of his. Um, and I passed on the deal. So that's what's interesting. We, we had the conversation. I looked at it, and I you know, said, I don't like it. And you would have thought that's where it would have ended. Mm-hmm. But again, he had the frame of mind to not take that as a personal insult, learn from it. And I think, you know, every time he came back to London to visit and, 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 and do business here, he would call me up and say, you know, let's go for a drink and catch up, or let's go for a meal and catch up and talk about what we're busy with. A lot of other people after being told no, would probably never have spoken to me again.
0: Like a dead lead, as it yeah, were. You're right? so it, and say, yeah, you're almost
1: say, you know, I asked and I had this one objective, so I didn't achieve it. I'm not interested in speaking with this person again. And so that's how we became friends and really just started to bounce ideas off each other. And I said, look, you know, I want to do this thing. I've got a great deal of experience in it. Um, you know, it's in financial services, it's a financial inclusion type product. It's a credit offering. Um, that will grow into payments. It's something I know very uh, a lot about. Um, what do you think about it? And that's how the conversation almost started. There was no ask, as you say. Actually, it was advice. What would you like, what do you think? Um, and just through that conversation, literally over one discussion, you know, he gave me a call afterwards and said, he loves it, what do I think if we go 50-50 on it? He can bring all his experience to it, we can do this thing together. And that's effectively what we decided. Got it's really a really nice question. validation
0: when that happens, isn't it? When someone then makes the proposition to you after after hearing your idea, i mean, clearly he's got a lot of options, could have done a lot of things. It's also a great validation for the idea, isn't it? That, that someone yeah, like it's, that
1: fant- it's fantastic. And obviously, at that point, you've also got to weigh it up and look at it and say, you know, do I think, do I have the conviction in this idea in myself to really, you know, have someone join me on this mission? And you really need to stop and take a breath and, and yeah. ask yourself that question am I going to get up every day and get it done? Mm. Because if the answer is no, then don't bring anyone else into it. Mm. There's no point in us all wasting our time. And I think, you know, for me, it's one thing and you never know what happens, right? You look at, you look at zilch, other businesses, certain things work, others don't, you have to pivot them. Um, and a lot of people in some cases will ask what will you do if it doesn't work? And the answer genuinely I, I normally have for them is, I haven't actually thought about it. And that's not being cocky, it's, it's actually, I actually haven't thought about it. I'm spending all of my time thinking about how it will work. And getting up every day, making sure that's the case. I genuinely just haven't given the time to think about what I do if it doesn't.
0: Which is ironic, because in startup world, you know, everybody listening to this podcast would have heard, like, it's good to fail, or fail fast, and, but the reality is, no one wants to fail. Right. And and I think you're using the one thing humans have that no other species have. We have the ability to forward project. Yeah. Right? We can predict what could happen. And people can use that power to predict failure, or they can use that power to manifest success. And so I think, you know, people need to leverage the way you're thinking a little bit more, don't they? Like we're gonna make this work. But what is you know, what does keep you awake at night? What what does worry you about like keeping the business ahead of the competition and 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 make it actually work,
1: what's what's your worry there? Yeah, I think just just very quickly on your point around the failures, because I think it's an interesting one. I think a lot of, if you speak to people who have also worked for me and with me, you know, over the last 15, 20 years, they'd probably say there have been a lot of failures. That's the interesting thing, right? There's been numerous things we've tried that ultimately were not successful. There has been a number of failures and people as you just said, though, people really shouldn't be afraid of failure. It's a difficult thing to say, though, because, of mm. course, you're jumping off the ledge and you like, you know, everyone has some degree of ego or self-respect. Plus, you kind or, of
0: want to be scared of failure, so you don't
1: fail. You want that thing, yeah. right? Well, but but the, the trick is, I think, is, is, is really just looking at that as an opportunity to look at pivoting and doing something else. In every opportunity I can think of where there's been a failure. We've turned it into a success. Mm. We forced the issue, right? And so I don't think it's that you should be a scared. You should be scared of failure and expect you'll never fail. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Mm. You, they, things are going to fail all the time. Look at some of the biggest businesses in the world. Amazon's phone, for instance, that they launched, complete and utter disaster and failure. Well, oh, right?
0: Jeff Bezos was famous for saying, "I've had a couple of billion-dollar failures that,
1: you know, if I hadn't had, the main company wouldn't work." Yeah, that created a trillions of dollar business. Right. And, and that's the same thing I genuinely believe for me is that, you know, I think it's just how hard you work at making it a success. If you, if, if you really look at it, when we, when I started the mobile gaming thing was always a month or two away from being an absolute failure. It was like, are we going to have our investor put any more money in to accept that we still need to go another month, two, three, to start realizing is the revenue are people going to be using this thing. It was always the case. And ultimately, you know, I didn't get up every day, looking at it going, it's failing, it's going to fail. Really it was about getting up every day and going, what can we see in this that's working? What can we do with it? And we, it wasn't even a conscious big move where we all sat and said, we're now doing this. It was from one day to the next, look at this airtime thing, people are transferring it, let's, let's work on that. And you, you busy yourself with making it happen so that you forget about the fact that it could fail.
0: Well, the other big revelation in your story, I think, that might be useful for people listening is that in that failure, I believe, you discovered the concept of purpose in business and tech. Very so You, re- you realized that using tech meant that people didn't have to be hours and days away from their family getting their airtime, and you you suddenly realized how powerful purpose and tech could be. And, and let's face it, Zilch wouldn't exist today if you hadn't had that
1: failure, right? That's 100% right. Sometimes I actually speak to some of uh, my previous, you know, friends and colleagues from the last company. And we joke about it a little bit and say, what if the games thing actually worked? Yeah. Right. What? How would life look today? <laughs> because I would never have gone into payments, never have gone into financial services and technology, actually. I would have been probably sitting here you know, making Angry Birds 15 or something. It's just, right. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it really is that odd. That so it's peculiar that life sort of works the way it does. Or
0: luck, it's like, bad luck is actually good luck over time, right? You'd you rather realize. be
1: lucky than be good.
0: Right, yeah, and, right. And, and that bad luck is good luck. You just don't realize it yet, most of the time, not always, but most of the time. But right? that, that failure, that bad luck it has led you to this kind of, I guess, this moment where you know you're building something that's meaningful, purposeful, and can change lives,
1: right? absolutely and so it's just that's the point i think it's just focus on what you can take from it learn from it and 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 move to something else and continue to build continue to push through it i think that's the most important thing i i still want to go back to the very early days
0: of 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 starting the company so i i i see the you know hot chocolate you sitting there co-founder partner you do this 50-50, which, by the way, I think important lesson there, a lot of people think they are shown 100% of something. I'd rather own 50% of a success than yeah. 100% of a failure. I read one of the headlines uh, recently that you still, with your co-founder, own 50% of the company. And to some people, it's like, well, you've lost 50%. But Actually, you've built such a valuable company that, of course, it doesn't matter the percentage, actually. Yeah. It matters the value you bring to society and, of course, the value of the business. A lot of people miss that. So giving 50% up to your co-founder so the business is successful is a smart move, yeah. right? If you held 100% and it wasn't as successful, what's the point of that? But more importantly, I think when you're starting out, especially with a business this complicated, what are the first few steps or people listening they can learn from you that you took? So that
1: co-founder for me is one of them. What else? Action. It really just comes down to the discipline of action. So in my case, because this is a second business, it was easier, right? And that that has to be, That is a big deal. It's easier because I had already worked with a lot of partners in the space, MasterCard, et cetera. I knew a lot of the people I would need to go to, to build this company. And that made things very much easier than the first business. Um, so I think the answer is a bit different. If you think about the first versus business versus Zilch in Zilch's case, really it was, how do we just get on with it? So, you know, it's it's that normal scrappy start let's not all sit here and talk about the business card and the logo and it, you know it must be beautiful and go on godaddy.com and think we, we're we adding value every day because we're looking for domain names that aren't taken which by the way is a favorite pastime of mine but anyhow yeah, me too it's a hobby isn't it, it is what, a, it's like oh what, i'm, I'm going to come up with a name and, and it kind of for me the brand is always how i formulate how this is going to feel for customers so it's a, an important part of that but you know Fill your day up with things that just move the dial tremendously and really take the action and take it to people. If you phone and they don't answer, phone again. If they don't want to take the meeting, go and see them. Right? Oh, hi, I'm here. They're like, oh, why are you here? It's okay. I'll tell you. Right? I think you've got to force the issue in the beginning. You really need to take some considered action. So what we did is, you know, our skill sets are quite complementary, in that. I'd built a business operationally like this before. I knew the partners on Sean's side. It was more a case of he had raised a lot of funding before. He understood the market, particularly in the UK and this network of uh, high net worth, ultra high net worth family offices and how that could look and the story we might need to paint on the investor side. So I knew the story we need to paint for a consumer and how the business needs to look and what component parts make it up. And on his side, of course, he had this other area of focus. An experience, and so off we went. And everyone was busy every single day. And what's fantastic is when you meet someone, it's hard, but that's like-minded, is as driven, but has got complementary skill sets. That's when the real magic happens. And every single day, you can dovetail off each other's energy. You may have maybe not managed to get that meeting with Mastercard, but you know you get a phone call from your co-founder saying, "Hey, just had a fantastic discussion. Listen to this, right?" and it lifts the mood, raises the energy, brings you, you know, helps you bring that discipline back for the next day, let me go get it. So it was really just action. I mean, the simple steps were, identified each of the vendors that we need to work with to build the business, right? We're gonna need some technology, where are we gonna get it? We have to go build the platform. We don't have any developers, let's start there. And go and start researching online and phoning people up, who did you use for your tech? Who did you use for your tech? Who built your platform, right? And you start hearing, oh, we built it, we built it. Eventually, people start getting to the answer, oh no, actually it was this small business, they're great, go meet them. And so it's really about, none of it is rocket science at all. Actually, well, you're, you're, it's you're, about taking these steps.
0: You're highlighting something again. I don't want people to miss this because, you know, when you describe it, a lot of people might be hearing, you know, your experience and all these contacts, all this knowledge you have at this point. But I think there's you're, 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 a Japanese proverb, which is to move a mountain, you move one small rock at a time. And that's what you're describing. You're saying there's little pieces of it, some that you're personally capable of doing and some you're not. Yeah. And you're figuring out what those small rocks are and then actioning the moving of those rocks. And that's it's all exactly it really the, is.
1: Right? And, and that's all it is. I mean, I, I and find by that. By the way,
0: though, I mean, I just want people listening to realize you built the UK's fastest growing fintech unicorn in 14 months from zero to unicorn status. I mean, a billion, valuation of a billion, people quite understand what a billion is sometimes. You know, like, I think it's $1 a second. You'd run out of money if you had a million dollars. We're talking pounds in this case, but you run out of a million dollars in 14 days. One dollar a second for thirty two years before you'd run out if you had yeah. a billion right a billion is a lot yeah and your present valuation is two billion so that's right yeah. but but you know I, I guess you know I want I want people to not miss this that it, you lined up all the bits that you knew that you personally could do so someone listening right now has things they can do and then you figured out the bits you didn't have tech which is for a tech company quite crazy right most people like you need to have a CTO or but you found out who was building this technology and brought them in. And then you brought a co-founder in to do the finance, which is the bit you, you probably knew, but you couldn't do it. So you brought someone else in. And away you go, 14 months later, you built a zero to a billion
1: dollars. It's company. genuinely, I, I genuinely believe it's as simple as that. If I, I feel like anything in life, go and take a SpaceX rocket, break it down to its component parts. It's just people mm. like you and I, mm. who are sitting there screwing this bit into that bit. Right. Okay. Anything in life, I have to say, it might sound a little underwhelming. Look at a beautiful bridge and oh my, how did they get it there? And the next day I'm driving past and I realize they built it on the side and pivoted across, right? You're like, "Mm, Mm hmm, that makes sense. It's just because you don't understand something that you feel it's very complex. When you really get into it, it's actually not. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's a case of, you sit down with a piece of paper and go, how do I think it's going to work? It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're building an e-commerce company, Also, by the way, don't fool yourself that you're going to be buying beautiful clothes and shopping for nice things. It's a logistics business and it's a marketing company. That's what you're building, right? So you're going to write that down on a piece of paper and you're going to say, okay, I have to have the store and I have to have clothes and how am I going to get the sizes because I need one of each size? How am I going to hold the stock? Where am I going to get the money to hold the stock? You just start really writing down everything in your business that you think you're going to need. And it's quite obvious stuff. Oh, I, I guess I'm gonna to need to deliver those clothes to someone. What courier am I gonna use? How am I going to pick and pack the items? And you just start to go through them. Now you have a nice list of everything that you at least are aware of that's necessary. Pick one and do it. Every single day, you do one. And don't stop until it's done. Don't accept that it wasn't completed today. It needs to be done. And that sort of, I feel like, was a great formula to really get this thing going as fast as we could. And and even though I say I knew a lot of people in the space and had a, a number of contacts, what was interesting is all of the people around me in my previous company were in South Africa. So actually in the UK, a lot of the vendors and people that I would have relied on, I actually didn't know. So I knew what I needed, at least that helped. I knew at least what I needed. But I didn't necessarily know everyone here from all the vendors here in the UK. I almost had to start from scratch. And what you find is that's what these people do. They're actually waiting to sell you something. They wish you would call them. Sometimes you think, I don't want to call because they're going to think it's a bad idea or they're going to say, why why would we do that for you? They're literally in the sales team. It is their job. (laughs) You've just made it easier, right? And I think when I remind myself of that sometimes, it also helps. It's like, I don't know if I want to call because what are they going to say or, you know, what they're going to say is thank you very much. And you should have that conviction in my, I believe, they're gonna say, thank you very much. You've just done their job for them. You just brought them a lead, Mm. right? So I think it was just doggedly going and getting things scratched off the list. And then it starts to come together. And obviously once it starts to come together is when the real shit hits the fan, Mm. so to speak, because it now starts coming together and you realize, actually that doesn't really work that's when things get more interesting mm. now you're really into the mode of what do we do mm. does that kill the product as we envisaged it or do we does that mean pivot to something or does that mean it can be fixed that's where the real uh you know the real thinking starts to happen but by that point hopefully you've built up a bit of a team around you even if that's a co-founder or one other person or the vendor helping you build it and you're starting to get um, more support and that all helps because they can bring their experience to the table and you can make a decision or try to figure something out But I also think that that Selling to vendors You know when you're starting I don't know if you ex- experienced this, but you're selling to the vendor mm. Right. Yeah, Just, you're, pitching, you're, you're pitching you pitching to
0: you as a potential client to them You're, you're almost Absolutely. begging them to see you as yeah. a potential and client I, to s- I,
1: I always looked at it as if I could get them to effectively give me what I wanted for a stake in the business rather than for cash this is a fantastic vendor and it's a, going to be a great part well they're also aligned,
0: don't they then they're not about getting a fee off you they're about you know yeah. they want the business to work which is a great yeah. way of suddenly basically having an in-house version
1: yeah and so a lot of people might be thinking if they're just trying to start up oh but i don't have the cap the money i can't yeah. go pay for an app to be built well i tell you what don't need money put How a little deck is. together go and meet 15 app building companies 100%. and tell them why your idea is going to be the next twitter or the next zilch or the next you know something amazing and sell it to them and i can promise you right now we used to run a big dev house in our last company we would do projects like this all of the time we would say guys every month you pick three things that come through and build them for equity rather than for a fee. so people do this stuff yeah. right okay. just go sell to them
0: again again i think a lot of people listening i know this to be true that they think they need a lot of money to start a business and you don't in fact uh, there's a lot of innovation comes from having no money like if you've got money, maybe you will go pay a development team, and then they're not as incentivized for the business to work, other than to get their fee.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So by by having no money and going to those companies, in a way, you create a more innovative model. Right. It's, it's Exactly. It's, it's more engaged. aligned model. I, I guess just talking about money though, because I think there is a point where money is needed, especially in, in a business like yours. So you raise a lot of money. Tell us about that first meeting when you pitched to an investor, you know,
1: was it? They, they, they said no. They said no. <laughs> that right. Was about 250 times. Right. 250 times. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, it's
0: very important for people to hear that because all people see is the headlines, you know, the yeah. amount of money you've raised, which is incredible. 250 meetings of people saying no. I hope they're listening to this podcast. Can we, can we send them this podcast about well, how a, you're doing? There's a
1: funny story about that, <laughs> which I'll tell you. So we actually did a presentation and it was a, a big startup event. Um, speaking to founders about how you can raise cap- capital and our story about our business. And the speaker who got up just before us was you know, talking about investors and how they see the world. And as he got up on stage I was sitting with communications, head of communications and we were laughing because we both looked at each other and said, he's the guy who said no <laughs> to <laughs> us, right? And we were, I was coming up on stage just after him to talk about our $2 billion valuation Brilliant. and what's happened. And he passed when our valuation was about 15 million pounds? <laughs> he said no. So look, by the way, I, I mean, you know, I think, I think the big thing is is that what was interesting in this company is we started going and trying to raise money and then COVID arrived. And so we were actually forced to do a lot of our pitching initially on Zoom, which completely changed things. It was a bit weird. But what it gave us was hyper-efficiency. So and normally, global suddenly. Global mean, efficiency. Investors
0: before COVID were like, I mean, Silicon Valley is famous for it. You have to be a skateboard ride away is the kind of slogan, yeah. right? It's going to be seven minutes away from us. Of so course, we're not going to invest in you, which is ridiculous. Yeah. So I don't know. Did that change? You have a more global opportunity.
1: More it's- global opportunity. If, normally, if you think about a normal pitch, you're going to be there at least an hour. You've got to travel there and back. If you can do three to four of those a day, particularly around London or the UK, you know, it's, it's difficult to get around. You're not doing more than four of those a day. I think we were probably doing 10 pitches a day right? Because we could just zoom in and do these calls back to back to back to back. And we literally spent this entire time, 250 calls to raise our first $10 million. That's what it took. And all of those people, it was no, 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 no. Now, some of them, by the way, because you don't really like to hear no. But again, if you have the attitude of, okay, well, they're missing out, let's move on, right? I think that's very useful, and again, that's where if you have a co-founder or people around you who are like, "Yeah, no, screw them, we'll get," you know, "let's carry on." That's very useful um, because it can be a little demoralizing, but you get up the next day and you have the discipline to make the next call. It's the only way we got there finally.
0: Plus, some feedback, right?
1: It's good if someone's no, yeah, saying no. Yeah, A bad no is actually when they say no and don't tell you why. Right. That's annoying. Yeah. That's very annoying. A, a good no, a fantastic no is when they say, no, and let me explain why. Your pitch deck says this. It doesn't match your number here. This makes no sense because of that. These assumptions we discount to zero for, for that reason. Wow. They've literally One just told you-
0: slip up in the, yeah,
1: in the structure. But they've just told you what to change right. for tomorrow. Yeah. They've literally told you. Now it's amazing how many founders don't wanna hear it. Right. Oh, they said, no, screw them. I'm not talking, you know, I don't wanna to chat to them, whatever. Right? The, don't get my actually, vision, so it's yeah. all we tried to do. They would eventually get annoyed with us. They're like, we said no. We like, we know that. We're not yeah. phoning to get a yes, we're phoning to ask why. Yes. Right? And that was probably the most powerful thing we did. With each pitch, we could tweak what we were saying in the pitch, because we never really used the deck either. That's something maybe a lot of people don't know. Zilch has never produced the pitch deck. Right? And and I think the main reason for that is the problem with pitch decks are. We've all seen them, they all look the same. Everyone downloads the thing from the internet, tell people the problem, then tell them the solution, then tell them the TAM, you know, if if you, it's just, it's all the same. So you flip through it and you're like, this sort of looks maybe vaguely interesting. What we ended up doing was we said, no, you have to join the call. We're going to tell you what we're doing, right? So we knew it so well we could tell you. We could sit down and rattle it off. Every number, every projection, every metric in the company. Right. In other words, you're going to learn today that we know our business better than you ever will. I
0: love this by the way, you never really hear what companies have actually done to raise the money that they're raising. And a lot of people listening have been told a million times by a million people selling courses, have never actually raised money, do you need to do a deck?
1: I mean, right. we, so we actually- Actually hearing so, from
0: a horse's mouth, you telling us, I, I, I totally get it as well because it's much more real coming from you. And I, even when I'm li- listening to you describe the business today, I, I'm excited. You know, If I had the money, and by the way, a lot of these people don't actually have the money. A lot of time wasters. They'll say no. They haven't raised the fund yet.
1: or yeah, They don't even have ahead. it. Just, right?
0: They just want to hear. Well, they're followers. Right? Yeah.
1: Beware the follower. Yeah. That's the one thing I would yeah. also say. Actually, ask a few questions before you take that meeting from the investor. Are you a following investor? And what I mean by that, if, if people don't know what I mean by that, and might be valuable to, to listeners, is that a lot of investors are maybe people or family offices or even institutions that have either made money or collected money, but recognize that they are not good investors. Okay. And that's fair. That's, that's okay. So what they do is they'll say to you, I think the idea is great, but I need a lead investor to do the due diligence on you and basically tell me that it's great. So if you get a lead investor who are professional investors, in other words, they can back themselves. They can look at your idea and go, I'm going to invest. I'll follow them in. So what you end up with is a whole bunch of, oh, I'll do 2 million, I'll do a million, I'll do 500K, I'll do 50K, but I'll follow in. So go get yourself a lead. So what you really want in the beginning is to either be speaking with principles. In other words, people have made the money themselves that are not going to get fired because they make the wrong decision. It's their money. That's, that's the best person to speak to in the beginning. It's their money, they like what you do, they decide and they do it. If you go to institutions, the first thing is, are you a follower? If you are, I'm not meeting with you. What's the point? Fine. You're going to have to meet with leads or people who can make the decision, the principles that have the actual money, entrepreneurs themselves or whatever, where they can go, I like it, here's the check. Mm. So for us, what we didn't do is we didn't do decks. We knew everything about the business. And, and what that does, it certainly did for us is, it gives you confidence. Because you sit down, it doesn't matter if you're sitting down with someone who might invest 50 grand or, for instance, we sat with Goldman Sachs who's written us $150 deadline debt line into the company. It actually didn't matter. We were going there that day to educate them, whoever they were. They were going to learn something that day from us. Because no one knows it like we know it. And that was probably the most important thing. So no deck. And what we ended up doing is actually investment memorandums. So we started to produce an investment memorandum rather because what we learned is you actually have to do a lot of these people's job for them. Right, make it easy for them to make sign. Make it easy for them. Right? So there's another thing
0: people don't realize that you, you do the contract, you do all the paperwork do it, and then it's ready for people to sign. And okay. we had it.
1: So we actually had a nice system going. And my co-founder was responsible for setting actually a lot of this machine up. I have to give him the credit for this. He had a well oiled machine set up. DocuSign you. If you want to invest, here are the articles here's the contract click and sign it comes to us we sign and off we go yep. bang 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 right and and it's done and that is exactly as you've put it let let people do the minimum amount of thinking as they possibly can everyone's busy with their own lives
0: i mm-hmm. there is an impulse in people when they, when they hear and they believe people want to sign you leave it a week and it changes that can, yeah, it's, it's the principles of sales really right you've got to be you got to be on it but I, I i guess the other thing that's really fascinating about this is If you um, peel back, who was your lead investor?
1: So we've had numerous over, over, uh, I mean, at the moment, we've obviously got more than 70 investors in the business. Mm. Um, So we never had a lead. That was the point, right? We, We kind of, we always went out and said, let's go and write the investment memorandum ourselves. In other words, we will build the investment thesis ourselves. We will go write the investment memorandum as though we are leading.
0: Because that's normally, like you said, normally it's one lead investor and then everyone flows in. That's, that's what everyone's told is the system. Yes, So you're, that you're, is the system
1: right. if you go for venture capital money right. or, or um, institutional capital. You know, in the UK, we are very fortunate in the UK, you have a huge amount of high net or ultra high net worth capital. In other words, private individuals who have made a lot of money, doing their thing.
0: Often entrepreneurs themselves, to so get the road. Mostly, yeah,
1: all entrepreneurs, they started an eye surgery uh, company and expanded it to 200 branches and sold it to the NHS. This is a good example of one of our very first investors, by the way. Mm. Really wealthy individual who did phenomenally, was an entrepreneur, understands the pain, understands the grind, mm. gets it, and by the way, it's his money. He can make a decision, He gives the and he writes the check, and he doesn't go, I might lose my job, was that the right decision? He goes, I back this business and these people, I like it. Mm. So we started, the way we avoided this issue is we started with ultra high net and high net worth individuals rather than venture capital firms. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that's always the best idea, but for our business, this worked very well because we had people buy to the vision of what we were doing and could join us on the journey. Mm-hmm. They didn't say, I'll follow. Mm.
0: Right. I think people listening again, you know, like maybe people don't need to raise money, but, um, but if they do, uh, and uh, I see it as raising money around the purpose as well, because a lot of the funds, they have to get out in four years. Yeah. Right? So, how, how long will this take to disrupt a market that has been incumbent since the 50s? Hard to know, isn't it? If you have an investment fund, there is, a, there is an argument that they will need to get out in four years. I interviewed James, who's the founder of Brewdog, um, and he's a controversial guy. uh, um, And one of the things that he said to me that really stuck with me, and I I wanted to see what he thought of this, was about when he had controversy around him as the CEO, there was not one single person in, in in the founder investment base that wanted him to leave. They believed in him. They knew his heart was in the business. They knew his heart was true. So all the negative press around him was bullshit. They knew it. He got the right investors. His investors were actually the people that drink his beer.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? People that understood why that beer was different, why it was disrupting the big poisonous incumbents, right? Yeah. And I, and I feel like you're saying the same in a way. You're saying get those people in to understand the journey that are in it
1: for as long as it takes to disrupt the market, right? I think to a large degree that's right. Um, Different businesses need different things, right? And I I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't say there's just a one fits all approach. What I would say, however, is that if you're going to go to a VC early and you have no experience at all, and you have no co-founder or help, there are some arguments to be made that you could go to something like an incubator or a VC, and it could be useful right? Because you might know very little about how to run a balance sheet, how to even go and open bank accounts for your company, um, how to get in a working capital line. You, you just might not know any of this stuff. So in that case, it could be useful. It really could be useful. Um, but I would say incubators are almost more useful than VCs. So again, if you don't know what those are, go Google incubators in the UK. There's a lot of them, right? against people, oh, but I don't know any incubators. Go Google it.
0: Yeah, and again, they're looking to sell to you. They're looking looking for your
1: business. They are looking for right now. Yeah, They they cannot wait for you to walk through the door and tell them about the next best thing. They just cannot wait. So something like that makes sense. I think the only problem that I have with VC in early stage companies is that you end up working for the landlord. Mm. That's the problem. You're gonna end up working for that VC company Mm. because they do come in, they obviously take risk, but they typically take a lot of control in the business. And that is something that is obviously a concern. Incubators, by the way, is a little bit different to that.
0: Yeah, and these days the incubators, all sorts of different types of incubators. I mean, if you want a corporate relationships and great corporate accelerators, where you literally sit with the corporation and get a chance to work with them when you perhaps wouldn't yeah. easily get an intro to them. So it's just yeah. getting in there for that, not even raising capital. You get one client can be enough, right? Yeah, Sometimes clients, you don't need to raise Sales,
1: money. distribution. Totally. So I think that could be very useful. It is, um,
0: I guess, you know, off camera before we started the podcast, we talked a little bit about uh, work-life balance and I know you're very passionate about helping people right now in particular in the economic situation that we're in, particularly in the UK. People are in trouble, caught in debt cycles and I know you're passionate about making sure there's not There's not one more person while we're sitting in this podcast that goes into debt that you can help them get out of debt. So so how do you sleep? How, how are you getting work-life balance? How, how does your life play in a business like this? That's so purposeful.
1: I'd be interested to hear what you say about that and how you do it. But, but for me, I'm fortunate in a sense that, um, I've been with my wife for 17 years. So basically, when I started my first business, she was there. So she's sort of seen the, the ups and downs of entrepreneurial life um, since I started, really. So the good news is I have a partner with me mm. that understands how this goes. It's key, I think, and it's really key. It really is key. You know, if if there's something in the business that's worrying me, yeah, I'll lose some sleep over it, of course. But I know I come in the next day, and hopefully, I've got fantastic people around me as well. We can come in and actually have some fun and figure it out. Mm. If something at home is not so right that that bothers me, that distracts me. So, so having that partner that also understands it's going to be great and it's going to be really bad and it's going to oscillate between those on an ongoing basis. It really is right. And you know, this firsthand, any entrepreneur will know this, you know, you could, you could, you could be on the highest highs and you can be on the lowest lows because you're the one that has to carry the can. You got to come in and take the responsibility. So I think, I think that has helped and having her on all of the journey with me has definitely helped because over the years she's learned that there's no such thing as holiday. Holiday doesn't exist, right? I've never heard of a holiday, but I don't feel that I work all the time. I think a lot of people, when you say you're going to work every day at this, a lot of people picture themselves on their laptop or sitting in an office. It's not the case, right? It's just that you need to proactively be thinking about it all of the time. That's what it's more about. And that could be, you're running on the treadmill, you're having a swim and you're like, Hey, wow, something's just, I've just realized we could do this. Right. And then I'm quickly off into the room to get my laptop and write it down. My wife's like, where have you gone? And, and I think it's just, so for me, I've just, I don't get the balance. I think, I think today we struggle a little bit with this. It's, it's a difficult topic. Right, because mental health's become a lot more visible. We all get it a bit more than we used to. I don't think anyone really understood this. But I do think that people have to just calibrate their expectations a little bit. You can't have it all and not put in the effort and the graft. You don't, you, you know, you just, it's just not possible. Mm. You have something's got to give. And for me, I think, I think really, I spend most of every day of my life thinking about the business, really, right? So when you think about balance, um, I find that is a tricky thing. Now, we have our son. He's brought a lot more balance, if you could call it that, because, of course, he doesn't care. Yeah, you can't explain to him the mission. He wants to to see the magic trick. And it doesn't matter if your laptop's open, he's seeing it now. So he's brought me more balance, I think. I, I genuinely have to say, I think maybe having kids has changed that a little bit for me as well. So he's brought me more of that. But even so, you know, you can be working and thinking about a problem or solution while you're on the beach or while you're with your family, you can take that call that's important for an hour while you're standing by the pool and, and, you know, your wife and son are are swimming. You really can. I don't buy the concept of, Oh, I'm on holiday. Don't phone me. I don't take my laptop. That's okay. I don't think, I don't believe that you can truly be very successful if that's going to be your attitude. Right? And I also think the other important thing I need to say is, is that a lot of people talk about, I want to do what I love, you know, or you've got to do a lot of what you hate so that over time you can spend more and more time doing what you love.
0: So true. So true. I, I'd love to break it into a formula for people. And I've interviewed over 200 super successful people like yourself. And, and, and the translation is kind of like the foundation is so important. I've seen businesses fail because the person who's running the business has the wrong partner. I mean, talking about relationship partner. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with the business, but they're 8 o'clock, they're in the office on a Friday night, and their partner's like, don't you love me anymore? Yes. You know, where are you? Yeah. I you know, we'll have dinner ready for you. If you don't align, it's like the whole thing, isn't it? The five people around you, I can tell you your future. It's kind of like yeah. that, isn't it? It's kind yeah. of like that. You've got to get that foundation. And it's not just about your partner. It's probably about your friends and... I personally end up being friends with a lot of people I work with, you know, like, a, yes. and, and that comes with its own burden. But <laughs> yeah. especially when you sell the company and you like no longer get to yeah. see goodbye. Your <laughs> yes, you, so so I've I've yeah. fallen into that hole, but that's a separate point. I think yeah. the, the the foundation is so key for people listening. You, if you want to be an entrepreneur, I think the thing that a lot of people get put off by is that oh, it's all about the company. You know, people are working all the time. Yeah. But once you're once you're an entrepreneur with a purpose like yourself, I think the formula is. It's no longer you're doing a holiday to escape what you do, is you're, do, you're going on holiday to give yourself a new environment to think better about what you do, Yes. right? So I, I'm pretty sure you've come up with some of your best ideas while swimming,
1: one hundred percent. right?
0: So it's not like you're not doing those things, but you're also not wasting time not thinking about the problem you're trying to solve. I think that's magic. If, if a human being, and I can never imagine being anything but an entrepreneur because of this point, I've never worked, as I, I work so hard and I love it, I know yeah. you do too. It doesn't matter because you, 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 your spare time is enjoyable, even more so
1: because you're thinking about your business, not having to block it out. Oh, no, it's frustrating, actually. It actually gets to the point where I'm frustrated if I can't. You know, so, so my wife and I sometimes we'll be, let's say we're watching a movie or something, you know, and I've got, a, I've got my phone quickly out, I'm taking a note or something, she's like, oh, no, do that later. I think over the years she's now learned let him do it because if i can't do it then and there and take that note or put that idea down it's going to piss me off (laughs) all right i'm going to resent being in the movie it annoys me so i want to get that down i want to get the idea down and what i have learned i think is involve your partner if if we're talking partners i think making sure you involve your partner is really critical totally i think just expecting for them to support you on this mission of yours is the wrong way of thinking about it. You know, when I was thinking of coming up with a name with this company, the first person I ask is my wife. Here's three I think are cool, what do you think, right? And my wife's very good at telling me that's rubbish. (laughs) She's great at that. So, you know, she knows everything that's going on in the business. She's a confidant for me. I bounce everything off her. And she's genuinely involved and is a major part of the success of the company. She's providing that support. I think that's critical. If you're not going to involve the partner at all, I always find these relationships a bit odd where it's a, I get home from work, I don't want to talk about it. You know, okay, so you go off in a day, you do something, I'm not sure what, you get home, you're tired, you're stressed, you don't want to talk about it, so we don't talk about it. So I know nothing about what you're doing, but I should support you on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really make much no. sense, right?
0: It's something that people, I mean, again, I, I talk about this a little bit, and people are always like, oh, I don't want to work with my partner. Um, they, you know,
1: I like, do not want to work with my partner, by the way. Right, no, no, but, but, but in fairness, <laughs> exactly. in
0: fairness, she is an unpaid consultant. Absolutely. So, you know, let, let's just label it as it is. Sure. There's very di- many different ways to work with people. Like yeah. I work with people, I can spend an hour with someone a month, I, I'm working with them. Yeah. And we might be having a coffee and talking about the business, yeah. back to your point with the co-founder. Yeah. That actually, on my frame of it, is working with someone. You go home and you share what's going on in the business, that is working with someone, right? Now, when you have a kid, what you realize is the hardest thing to ever bring up together is a kid.
1: Yeah.
0: Actually, doing a company together is, is easy, oh, easy compared, yeah. right? Uh, and, and so I think that you know, people listening, again, it's such a valuable, get that foundation right. By the way, and I'm sure you're the same, uh, in England there's no prenup. Yeah. So you can't do a prenup <laughs> in England. And, and, and so you basically you agree a partnership, no contract, no real you know, deliverables, right? Yeah. Most important deal of your life, there is no contract. And by the way, aren't they the best deals you can ever do in life?
1: Absolutely. But like you say, I think it's it just is fascinating to see the dynamic change when you have this, pe- this group of people around you. You know, it might start you're on your own. How does that look? And things are different versus you have a partner. Maybe kids are change the game again. Um, and how do you just weave that into the common mission? And the common mission is we are all have an aspiration to build this thing. And lots of people have got different reasons for that. But we all must agree what those reasons are, and that's our aspiration. Mm. And together we'll go and play our roles in that. Mm. And and I think that's what's valuable. Well, how are you playing your role to either, you know, to support your partner and vice versa in the bigger mission, right? And and, and I think I think getting that balance right is tough, it's difficult. But if you can get that right, it's a it's a flywheel that drives everything else, at least it does it does for me. Um, and it drives far more productivity in the company uh, mm. that I'm busy with at the at the time. If that's falling apart, and that's where I think I, I, it sort of speaks a bit to discipline as well. If all of that's very chaotic, uh, you know, for me, I, I kind of have this thing with people in the business. Sometimes you get noisy people. You know, people who just, some it doesn't matter if it's positive or negative, but they're noisy. Mm. You hear a, their name a lot come up at the office. There's always a... Oh, they're them again, and they're noisy. I don't like noise. And I'm a bit like that in, in, I've always been like that in relationships too. If you're creating a lot of noise, I just, I don't like it. Mm -hmm. We don't need to be extreme. You know what I mean? I want stable, I want stability. And it's the same in the company. If I'm hearing a name too often, whether it's always very, very positive, but rah, 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 or negative. I really don't like people like that. In the is it,
0: this is called the six and seven rule, right? This is, uh, I don't know where I stole this from uh, yeah. accidentally. I can't remember where I've got this from, but this is called the six and seven rule. you heard of this before? No, I haven't. Uh, so, 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 so it's a really imp- important point, actually, people listening to translate, like, because noise can be a bit subjective. What does that mean? Yeah. But And tell me if this is the right interpretation of what you're saying. In, any, in your life or in business, it's easier to frame it. If you bring someone in and they're rubbish, they're all one and two. You know they're rubbish, they know they're rubbish. Yeah. They're not happy, they're not in the right job, they got into the wrong place, they're not happy, they want have, easy to say, let's call yeah. it a day. Right, easy. Yeah. On the other end, you've got the nines and tens, the people that are just awesome. You know yeah. they're awesome, they, they know they're awesome, it just all works. And then there's the six, seven, and eights. Okay. Now these are the people that you're like, shit, they could be a nine and ten one day if they got their head down, if they, understood the purpose a bit better you know if 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 but they never become nines and tens and the problem is if you keep six seven, and eights in your life the nines and tens leave and then then you're left with an average life and an average company
1: i agree completely i mean you know the one the one term we use inside our business is it's a bit different from six seven eights it's called the brilliant the brilliant <laughs> they, the brilliant, uh, brilliant i think we have to bleep that
0: out but yeah I, 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 I,
1: and that's what it is in this business that we say we will never yeah expect. It's that person that all of us have worked with before. It's that person that's brilliant at what they do. Mm -hmm. She or he is so great at what they do, you hang on to them, because you're like, how could we be without them, right? They're so good. But... They step all over everybody. Not a team. They them. ruin the yeah. culture. No one likes them. No one wants to work with them, and no one wants to work for them. Mm-hmm. It's those people that that really are yeah. a big problem.
0: They're an interesting demographic because, like you say, they're brilliant. I think in a small company they can be quite good, but in a bigger company, in that you very can't, early
1: stage, yeah, they, they can work. be amazing. they can be transformational. because you have to deal with it, yeah, and then you've got to get rid of them immediately. But I but I do think that I do think that you know, when you think about people, I just think that anything that basically creates static, that's what I mean by this noise thing, what's distracting you in your life, right? And whether that is on the personal side, it's like, but I like to go out with my friends and have drinks and whatever. But you realize you've got to stop and go, yeah, but you're hungover quite a bit of the time. You're unproductive in that time, right? Is that static? Is that noisy? Is that creating noise if you can't have a
0: conversation with them it's even worse Yeah. and
1: but that's what you i think that's what people have to do and look at themselves and go what in my life is creating noise and distraction what is what are those things and then have the discipline to just say just just get rid of them and and i found for me that just streamlines everything you're doing because that next day in this example you get up you're much more productive you don't have the anxiety you don't have the you know there's just, you remove some of this noise. And that's what I sort of refer to it. And and sometimes people bring that into your life. Mm. They've always got a drama. Each time they call you, it's a thing, Mm -hmm. you know. And you're like, I like to just cut that out. Mm. And that's both personally and and, and, in the company. It's
0: great advice. The only exception to this rule, and I'm thinking as you're saying it, is I've got a five-year-old who's very noisy. Oh yeah, no look. And I cannot fire (laughs) him. And I cannot really have a conversation. Actually, interestingly though, um, so my son, if I rang him up right now and asked him the mission of my business, he'd be able to say it. That's fantastic. And so I, I am actually spending time training him. He's training me too. Yeah. I'm learning a lot from him. Back to your point what you were saying earlier, yeah. it's actually very good, isn't it? Sometimes if you live with that tension, you've got no choice but to live with that tension, you both grow, right? So I'm learning to just sit and play Lego and not think about business all the time. Yeah. Although I have my notepad by my side yeah. just in case. Exactly. But equally at the same time, he'll let me go and do my whatever because he knows what I'm doing is important, right? So you have to work okay. at those. But you know, I, I love the advice for general life outside of your children. I think general life is it's really yeah, really children, important. Children, no rules. There's no, no there's rules no, you, can't, you can't pick them; they pick you. The, the wrecking
1: so. ball comes in, and they just you know, it, yeah. it's just the most. It's the most fantastic distraction.
0: Yeah, it is an interesting challenge because the, 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 all the rules kind of go out the window. But I, 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 you know, I love I love the business so much of what you're doing. It, it resonates with me because you know, I I, I want to bring education. Two people for free, and I work with brands to pay for it too and yeah. I think it's it's not rocket science and it's not mainstream and it should be so I really resonate the way that you're doing things when I listen to your life and the discipline,
1: is there any regrets that you have um, I would say probably the probably one thing that I would say there's always regrets i mean we've all got we've all got a number of those I would say probably one one thing that I could definitely look back on and say, we, I could do this better. And even in my businesses, we could do this better. So um, is some of that discipline means that you, you perhaps don't quite stop to celebrate the wins? right? I think about when I sold my first business, I don't even think we went for dinner. right? You just roll forward. What's next? What are we going to do next? It's like when we raised our first capital here. We, we spoke about it. But we're like, guys, so let's deliver,
0: right? But now you've got to do the work. Now we've got to do the
1: work. work. Yes. When we reach two billion, yeah, we, you know, a lot of firms raise money and reach a two billion valuation. They would have gone out and rented a big venue and done a story. You know, we just had some drinks here at the office, and we came in the next day. We get back to it. Let's go deliver, right? And I think maybe I would say maybe some of that discipline in some cases. Maybe you to, maybe tweak it down a little bit, and 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 take a breath, and and take a moment to appreciate how far you've come, because you do tend to, you know, you're so busy, you almost need to stop, turn around, and look back, and just appreciate how far the whole team has travelled. So I would say, you know, maybe if I had to, if I had to pick something, I would say, there's probably some regret in, in 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 not stopping and going, wow, that was a phenomenal achievement, let's celebrate that achievement, let's enjoy that achievement, and then move forward, I tend to kind of just move on, right? We just, let's get to the next thing. And, and I think some of that is probably, we keep talking about kids, but I think maybe kids is what's making me realize that a little bit, let's, no, the birthday party is really important. First day of nursery school is really important. Stop, go do it, normally it would be roll through, right? And I think that's actually
0: will have your best idea ever on the way to exactly.
1: the school. Which okay. is very true. Yeah. So, you know, so for me, I would say maybe just, just pausing a little bit and appreciating what you've achieved and what the people around you have achieved um, is, is probably one regret. But, uh, but the good news is there's still time to work on it. So mm. let's see. It's a
0: very important thing. I mean, I always think about like a practical way of advising people uh, how to deal with that. Like, one of the things I love about making content is you are documenting the journey. You're not yeah. really creating content; you're documenting the stages of what's happening. In our case, to educate people about business, but you know, maybe documenting the journey more. You know, yeah, taking a picture of that moment you sat in here and had. Well, a it's actually beer, it's actually you know? very
1: true. I mean, uh, and it's funny. Um, uh, you know, our, our chief communications officer is like this. He always wants to take a photo and stop. It's, and, awkward, oh, it's gonna but And you're like, just it, just let's just yeah. knock it out, yeah. right? I mean, you know, we go. to We've met some people at the House of Commons recently. We were at number 10 for, for a big discussion around regulation. Please tell
0: place. me you took a picture of yourself outside the front door.
1: We did, it. but right. to be honest, I wouldn't have. Um, right. But, you know, yeah. it's, uh, and again, at Treasury or the House of Commons, you know, someone's literally got to force me to stop and say, hey, mm. you know, let's just do the photo. Yeah. Because otherwise, in my head, it's like we're here to achieve an objective. We mm. focused on achieving the objective. The objective is not photos in front of the, the, the door. So you know, I think sometimes it's quite nice to have that that break. At the time, it's tough because you're a bit like, this is a waste of time. Mm. But uh, what I'm learning is that you know, it's these moments that are also really important. Um, Plus, as we
0: get older, we forget. I find I need pictures now to remind yeah. me of some of the crazy shit I've done as an entrepreneur. <laughs> you know, like,
1: and it's fantastic, right? You look back on it, and sometimes you actually go, wow. It's really you know, it's really something you should appreciate.
0: Can we take a moment to appreciate the number behind you? On this very vein, 97 million pounds that your business has put back into the economy on your new business model. I'm going to flash it up on the screen for people watching this on YouTube. You know, you. I hope you take. I, I kind of feel like you put this screen here behind us so you remember to take a moment to look at it. Yeah, this
1: is the this is the North Star metric. You know, so we created the business to save customers the cost of credit. The whole mission really of the company is to eradicate high cost credit once and for all. Right. And, and so lots of businesses will rather have their sales number up on the board or number of customers up on the board. They'll have things like this up on big screens to be proud of. In our company, it was simple. This is a race to zero. How do we get this 150 billion? We're all paying in fees and interest per annum to credit card companies to nothing. How do we get it to zero? Right. So we put it in the name of the company, Zilch, and we put that on the wall. Rather than, do you want to see our handbook and we'll tell you why we created it, you just have to walk past the logo, you know what the purpose is. And then second to that, you look at the North Star metric in the company. How much have we saved the British consumer so far in fees and interest, and how much have we put back in their pockets in rewards, deals and discounts? And today, as you've just mentioned, we're about to hit 100 million pounds that we've saved customers today, so far that's a it's a huge amount of money and that is the North Star metric so whenever we're talking about a new feature or building something the question is how much does it save customers right yeah we know it of course this is a company revenue this that brilliant how much does it save them how much will this save customers and that's how everyone gets on with their day in this business. What I love about it is it, it's actually hard to bre- break a business down to one or two key things that people care about. We've managed to do that in this company very well. So everyone walks in, we don't have to put all the sentences on the wall, you know, reach for the stars, it's going to be great, save people. We don't need all of that. We've got a name. It points clearly to the objective and we've got one number. How much are we saving people right now? And you'll notice it's in real time, right? So this ticks up as transactions move through the system, which is pretty phenomenal as well. Oh, so, well since
0: we've been sitting here, i has gone up another thirty thousand, I think, since I've been.
1: Yeah, and that really is. So that's you know, for me, I think that's a fantastic way to get people rallied behind. Also, you're coming in, and it's hard. It's difficult. You know, we were here until ten thirty last night, working on an issue that we found. We've. It's difficult. It's not so easy. It doesn't happen on its own. A lot of people look from the outside and think that technology just evolves. That's not true. It's people like you and I going in every single day and grinding it forward. Is it It very stressful
0: when that happens, moments like that? When you suddenly have a problem? It used to
1: be worse because we had far less people thinking about it and worrying about it and therefore fixing it. So it used to be worse, of course, in the beginning, and I think everyone has to appreciate that. In the beginning, it's all hands on deck and anything that goes wrong, everyone's always in because you've only got so many people. Today, fortunately, we've got a bigger team. So, you know, you get into a room and there's a lot more people going, I've thought about it, and what about this? And that's fantastic. That's really where the magic starts to happen, where you know you're going into the room and actually, you probably don't have the solution. Someone else in that room has it. Mm -hmm. So far less stressful. And again, it's around how how is the culture of the business and who have you surrounded yourself with? Mm -hmm. Because you really understand a person when they're under pressure. That's when you truly get to know somebody. And I think, you know, going through the journey we've been through um, has been high stress, high delivery. So you get to know people fast. And the good news is we've got fantastic people. And we know that under pressure, they deliver, they perform, their personality shines. So you can at least come in and everyone can have a bit of a laugh of, well, that didn't go so well. (laughs) You know, what are we going to do about it, guys? Mm. And I like that. Mm.
0: I, I've got to know you so I think I know the answer to this question but it's a question one of our community asked and I, so I'm gonna ask it and it's like what keeps you going you know what why have you ever thought about giving up is it the days when you like I just can't do this or I kind of feel like I know what you're gonna say but like dig deep as the days when they're like I can't do it It's too much
1: it's actually quite a tough question to I've actually never thought about it to be honest um, if I had to reflect on it, I think it's probably a combination of a lot of what we talked about. I think it's a sum of the parts: um, the people around you, of course, the expectation you set for yourself. Um, you know, but principally, I, I'm—I I have to say—it's a question I've never really thought about. Um, I think just. Just generally, I, I like to solve problems and, and build solutions for those problems. And when you find something that's really such a massive problem, it doesn't take much to get up every day and be excited about working on it.
0: That's why it's so important to identify a problem that matters to you, right? And
1: I think that's the thing. I think if you find something that you're passionate about solving, passionate about solving, right? And I think you to be careful yeah, You're willing to boy. do the You're willing to, to do solve the, cr- the problem. <laughs> work to solve that problem yeah. that's powerful it drives you it propels you forward and then obviously you have the weaker days and the and the better days and on the weaker days the people around you certainly help and, and let's not forget there is always pressure as well there is a huge amount of expectation i mean our, i've said to our team every time we've raised a round of funding you know you might read this on linkedin or in a newspaper zilch raises 300 million and a lot of people read that and go Oh, it's almost like they did it. They've, you know, they've made it. They've yeah. made it good for them. In fact, actually, that deal was done a while ago. We just took time to announce it, so we've it's old news for us. And you know, and then you speak to reporters or you you, you chat about it, and everyone, oh, it's so exciting! You've just raised it, and actually, you're sitting there thinking, no, it's not, because the numbers are behind. We've raised it based on a, a projection and our business model, and we're not hitting the numbers and we're going to have to sit here all night tonight and the entire weekend to figure it out because okay. we've now got 50 new investors who want us to deliver. So, you know, but by the way, I think that also creates urgency. Of course, there's some level of stress with that, but it's useful as well for people to count on you.
0: It's back to your word earlier, which I wrote down, which is action, isn't it? It's um, The Vikings used to call this burning the boats. I always think people's first employee will actually motivate them To make the business work because once you have responsibility of helping that person pay their mortgage or whatever that almost makes you do it like taking action to your very earlier point you know and i think that's what you're saying there as well like by raising that money you've you're pushing yourself again there's there's no it can't work it's got to work it has to there's so many people behind the purpose yeah and
1: it's it you've committed i agree with that you've taken the responsibility on and 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 i think you've mentioned this before they're investing in you, mm. right? And that's also what I tell the team. They're investing in us. That's what people have to appreciate. Mm. So it's you, it's your good name. Mm. So are you going to get up every morning and work on it?
0: Is it key man insurance? What if you get hit by a bus, touch wood, and we're touching a lot of wood <laughs> yeah, right now, this doesn't it. happen.
1: But yeah. What happens if you get hit by a bus? Um, of course, uh, today we have key man insurance, but, um, how does that work? How do, you know, how Honestly, I think it's just it's give a trillion dollars to the company. Concept, right? It is a bit of a odd concept. I don't yeah. know how you, you know. I'd like to think, to be fair, that at this point we've got we've got some brilliant people in the business. I would like to believe that at this point, we the have a statue of you in the hallway. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, people are like, like, yeah, you know, it long was nice to have road. them around, but we're carrying on. The mission's bigger than any one of us. Yeah. And I would like to believe that. Cause that's so, the hardest
0: thing, isn't it? As a, as, as the person, like back to the point where people are investing you, yeah. there also has to be an element of at some point, this business needs to be able to operate
1: without you. I think it's, I think it's critical. Um, and also it depends on the size of the mission and what you're trying to achieve. I mean, just recently, for instance, we've, we just realized that this problem is so large worldwide as a private firm or as a single company, We just would never be able to solve the problem on our own. So what we've actually done is we've taken our our engine, this unique proprietary engine we've built that generates this ad revenue through card transactions that allows for this credit to be free. We've actually decided to open source it and we're going to start offering it to other card issuers, people who might in fact even compete with us. Because what we've realized is the problem is so meaningful, it's bigger than just us and our business. Such an important
0: point this is. This is brilliant. Uh, I think people don't understand what you're talking about here. I want to make sure they do. You're saying that the mission is so important that you're willing to share the skills and knowledge you have to help your competitors do it potentially because the mission is so important. That's right. This is how you know if the mission really matters to you or not. A bit like sharing an idea. If you've got an idea that can make the world a better place and you share it and someone else does it, at least the problem gets solved that you care about.
1: And that's exactly it. I think for us right now, the mission is so critical and so large. As you've just said, if someone can take what we've built and do it better, faster, bigger than us in a shorter period of time, firstly, I would be shocked, but fine if they Mm -hmm. could. That's good for them because ultimately the mission is being served. And that's the way we think about it, right? Now, a lot of companies find that odd. They would go, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. I was looking through
0: the comments when you unveiled the curtain, I guess, behind your ad model, and people were like, wow, you've just given the secret formula away to your competitors. Exactly. So they don't understand how important it is to... to And it's that model
1: off of that white paper was when we made the decision, let's open source it. Right. Right. And I think that is just something people don't expect, they don't understand. And off the back of that, We've already had a number of institutions saying, how do we plug into this thing and make this work? Mm. It's really exciting. Mm. If you think about it, if we could build the framework through which other firms could go and help solve this problem worldwide, wouldn't that be more success than building Zilch into a $4 billion company?
0: Mm. Which I've got a feeling it will be, uh, <laughs> and more. <laughs> so so I, I guess wrapping up, because I know you've, you've got a company to run, so we, we better <laughs> let you go. Um, I guess the final question I have for you, I feel like you discovered purpose, maybe when it was in the gaming business and you saw what difference it made, but can you pinpoint kind of the age that you think you first understood the concept of purpose in business? And just before that happened, would you go back, what would you go back to your younger self and say?
1: Um, I would probably say it was around the moment that I mentioned, so it's 20, I was about 20 when we, we created this airtime product.
0: You're 20 years old when you discovered the concept of purpose in business.
1: Yeah, that's when we started. It's pretty young, actually. The, I
0: mean, you know, I, I didn't discover it until I was mid 30s. But yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's just by by virtue of the fact, as I say, that I kind of, I went to school, went to university, thought of the idea, left immediately, and built the idea and mm. launched it. You know, I didn't really take any time in between or do something else in between. Um, so, and it just so happened that then we completely messed up the gaming thing and then pivoted to this this airtime transfer business and and solve problems for lots of people. Um, so I would say around there, maybe 22 around that age. Um, but what I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure necessarily, the one thing I've always um, thought about is how is it that we can give people exposure to actual businesses and roles in businesses when you're younger? So I did a lot of job shadowing, things like this, right? Um, and you also go to, at one point you could go to a consultant and they would tell you, they would listen to what you're passionate about and enjoy and don't enjoy, and then they would tell you potential career paths. Which was laughable, right? Because they'd say, do you like animals? You're like, no. They were like, okay, well, you we don't think you should be a vet. You know, you're like, good stuff, I'm see where this is headed. You know, they're like, do you like paint? You're like, yes, I love paint. They're like, painting could be a great, you know, like, yeah, this, is, this is intelligent stuff, this yeah. is smart stuff. but. There's never been a real way. I don't know how we bring to people who are younger, a real, a real way to understand what people do. Actually, what do they get up and go and do in their life in a day? Because when you're younger, you just don't know, right? You watch TV and you see a lawyer walking around dressed immaculately. And you know, you think this is great. This is, this is gonna be amazing. I I think I should be a lawyer. Right? You don't actually know what they spend their day doing. They're sitting in the back room, going through articles and articles and articles and reading case files, right? And, the, and then they pop out into the daylight one day with a suit on and you think this is great. It's just not what they do. You think about, I mentioned e-commerce companies before. Oh, you think it's all about uh, procurement and shopping and finding great stuff. No, it's not. It's about logistics, shipping and payments. Mm. It's, it's very difficult to learn that when you're younger. Um, And so I'm not sure if it would be advice for my younger self. It's almost what I'd love to see. It's one area I'd love to see disrupted, which if someone could come in and give people who aren't quite sure, no one knows what they want to be or want to do, mostly because you have no clue what people do. Let's be fair, you don't know. What is your father actually doing at work? What does your mother go off and do at work all day? You don't actually know what they do. You know their title and you you put something in your head. Oh, an architect, what does an architect do? Oh, they build this beautiful building. That is completely not what they do.
0: Hmm. All right. And they're not actually involved in the construction at all, right? Exactly. Not at is.
1: all. In fact, you know, and you might even think they, you know, they, they draw these beautiful things. In fact, that's not true because there's some, uh, uh, something in the UK called firm, My sister's doing their, their firm, uh, actually does a lot of this now in the UK. It's got nothing to do with even uh, drawing the beautiful picture of the beautiful building it's it's around that process that they're adding the value it's just you don't actually know what people do in a day so what i'd love to understand is how one day do we get to the point where when you're younger and you want to understand and explore and learn well would i love to be this or that what role would i love to be in go and genuinely truly understand a day in the life of this person how much of their day do they spend i mean look at yourself people are like i would love to do a podcast and they think that all you do is sit and ask people these questions and it's brilliant. Mm. And then everyone knows your name and it's it's fantastic. And you know so much prep no,
0: work and that time is twenty percent of the job. Yeah.
1: It's all the research, it's all the editing, it's all the it's all the thinking through it, it's all of that stuff. No one actually sees. Imagine if you could reveal that to them and say, Do you want to run a podcast? This is actually how I, I think. it'll put a day. lot of people
0: off <laughs> because they would they would understand the amount of work involved.
1: Great. But then but we don't then, then we don't have people doing jobs badly and they That's so
0: true. Off. And you know, again, it's, it's a brilliant uh, lesson. If people can. I think your word earlier. By the way, I've come up with the title of your book that you should do. Uh,
1: okay.
0: Zero action.
1: Zero action. Okay. Yeah,
0: it's a play on zilch <laughs> uh, with the concept of action, right? And I, and I think that people should go and start something. You know, if it's a window cleaning business or a car cleaning business, they'll understand the mechanism of sales and uh, hiring people and clients and customers and feedback and complaints and all of those things. Just go clean cars. You know, like, I like
1: that. And sales is probably the most important thing. Totally.
0: And it's a dirty word for some reason, but I don't, it's called marketing now, isn't it? It's much, it's I much think, nicer. I think sales
1: is, a, you know, my co-founder's got three sons and he always says to me, he's told all of his boys, if you can learn to sell, you can be anything That's you it. want to be, right? Yeah. And I think, I think back to my first company and I said to my father, I want to do this thing. And he said, yeah, you need to go and get someone to invest in the business. And it was the best lesson I learned because you had to go and sell. You had to convince somebody else in the world to believe in you and to part with their hard earned money. And I think even if your business doesn't need capital, you don't need to raise capital, I would actually say it's a great exercise to go and do it. Don't you, you don't hand the keys over. You're not going to raise and give up the business, but to get someone else, some other human, <laughs> that's busy with their life to stop and listen and buy into you and take their hard earned money and give you some of it. That's a massive skill. Yeah, and even if it
0: goes on to fail, what a great lesson. The it's process a massive of, skill. Who is and isn't right to
1: invest. We're always selling, right? It doesn't matter what we do, we're always selling. I think it's massive. I, again, I <laughs>
0: I have an issue with university, so uh, you know sometimes I wish people spent that four years going out there and travelling. Because one of the things, I mean, without going back on stuff, but you know, one of the things I think in your history, which is interesting, is you know you know you've you've operated in other markets. Like I, I opened an office in Africa. It was mind blowing to me how the banking system there is almost non-existent. No one trusts the banks out there. In fairness to the UK, people do tend to trust the, trust the banks here for regulation and all that. And what's interesting when you go to somewhere like Africa is that people are like you said earlier, going on Nokia phones uh, and transferring money to each other, that's what you created. Now that wouldn't easily happen in the UK because people have a bank, they have online banking but you learn how no infrastructure, building something from scratch that then people use and you realise that hey, actually in the UK people should be able to transfer money instantly between their phones, right? But but having that experience of literally just travelling, taking action and going and living in another country and understanding how another country works. I feel like you've had that as a, as a I would
1: I would agree completely. I mean, our last, our last business, we were a NASDAQ-listed company, 3,500 staff, you know, doing a great job in South Africa and Africa, largely, um, but the aspiration was, let's go play on a different stage. Let's go to Europe, <clears throat> you know, let's go to the UK, let's go to the US. And, and fundamentally, you know, I think the direction of travel was, uh, from the board was, it's a, it's a great business and can be, continue to be a, a great business in developing economies. So you know, really, we all disagree. And at that point, you have a, a choice. Do I buy that? Is that acceptable to me? Or have we, do we feel that we know everything? Or do we wanna go and learn more? Do we wanna go and find another market, explore and understand that market, as you've just said? And, and, and really trying to build something somewhere else. And that was ultimately the decision that, that I took for exactly that reason. Mm. And it's been you know, a fantastic experience, because everything is different. A lot of people think a lot of countries are similar. Of course, people point out language or cultures, differences. But that's, there's so much more to it. Mm. So many more subtleties to it um, that are fantastic lessons to learn. Uh, But I I think coming back to the point we started on, uh, sales is such a critical thing. Totally.
0: Phil, I want to thank you for taking so much time to share your knowledge with us today. Anyone listening, I just want to say this might have suddenly sounded like an advert for Zilch because I love it personally so much. It's not an advert, you haven't paid us. I love (laughs) what you're doing, that's why we're here. I do want to say to everybody listening, there is a link below. They should go and click the link of Zilch for two reasons. One, it will help them manage their money better. And two, they're gonna learn a lot about business by studying what you're doing, I think. When I went on your app and went through like, all the companies that are advertising on there and how the payment works, as a business person who's built personally 19 companies, I think I know it all, I learned a lot just looking yeah. at what you're doing. So if you don't wanna you know, be more careful with your money, which I hope listeners do, uh, they should also go look at that app and understand what you're doing, because I think it's the future, this kind of purpose-driven model, uh, disruptive model. So thank, thank you for what you do. Um thanks for, nice
1: uh, for having uh, me for, for sharing your knowledge with us today. I really appreciate
0: it. Nice to see you. Thank, thank you.